We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up show, Best Game Cox podcast on the internet. Today is Thursday, March the 25th, 2021. On today's show, I break down this weekend series, guys. The fifth-ranked Florida Gators come to town to take on the Gamecocks in a best-of-three series at Founders Park, guys. We'll break it all down in its entirety. Talk Florida pitching and hitting also on the South Ghana side of things. A new weekend rotation. We'll also talk what to watch for. Key player of the weekend is, again, the Gamecocks. Welcome to Florida Gators, the Founders Park for a best of three series. Also, news and notes to get into your listener questions. And we do have a fantastic interview. Former Gamecocks football player and wide receiver Jason Barnes joined me to talk about his career at South Carolina. We also dive deep into Shane Beamer, the current state of Carolina football. All that and more, guys. We've got a packed show here on a Thursday, and it's all brought to you by our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. Guys, Upstate Movers Group. Superior moving service. They bring care and attention on the companies can't offer because they're just too busy maintaining trucks and profiting off of them instead of focusing on service. Guys, service is what separates Upstate Movers Group from the competition. They're not a trucking company. They're a moving services company, and they're also employee-owned co-op. Their movers are paid twice the industry average, and everyone on the crew is invested in your success. They have dedicated professional crew members, and they also offer black glove service. They offer end-to-end packing services, custom crating and packaging for special items, and cleaning services as well. They're founded by Greenville Natives and University of South Carolina alumni guys, so a Gamecock-owned small business. They also offer 20 years of project management moving experience, and they can offer logistics and solutions that traditional moving companies simply do not have the skills for. Guys, whether in the upstate or across the state of South Carolina, if you have any moving needs in 2021, be sure to check out our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. You can, guys, you can find them on social media at Upstate Movers Group. Or, of course, if you have any other questions, go to their website, upstatemoversgroup.com. That's upstatemoversgroup.com. Be sure to check them out and tell them Chris from the Spurs Up show sent you. The show is also brought to you by our friends over at my bookie guys march is here the madness has officially begun and it's time for you to shoot your shot and score big on the non-stop action with my bookie guys you can select the winners from 63 tournament games in the my bookie bracket contest for a chance at ten thousand dollars in cash prizes and guys get this it's only a dollar to enter guys it doesn't matter whether you're filling out multiple brackets betting the national championship winner or simply looking for player and game props my bookie 
Bookie has you covered. Guys, you can sign up today at mybookie.ag and use the promo code GAMECOX. Again, that's promo code GAMECOX to secure a deposit bonus up to $1,000. And guys, make sure you use my promo code so they know I hooked you up. Again, that's promo code GAMECOX to claim your first deposit bonus. Guys, college ball, NBA, NHL, no matter the sport, no matter the minute, my bookie puts the action in your hands with in-game live betting and with choices from thousands of lines and odds, you can turn any game day into payday guys bet anything anytime anywhere with my bookie let's get it Start this show off by saying that I hate the Florida Gators. I really, really do. It doesn't matter the sport, doesn't matter the venue, doesn't matter the setting. I truly am a hater of the Florida Gators. And honestly, guys, I just wanted to start this show and let all of you know that before we get going, folks. Hope you're all doing well. I'm Chris Phillips, shows the Spurs Up show as always, guys. Appreciate you guys tuning in. We have got a packed show here on a Thursday. Of course, it is our Thursday show, which means we're breaking down this weekend series, and boy, oh boy, is it a big one, as the fifth-ranked Florida Gators come to town for an SEC series at Founders Park, guys. But again, thank you so much for tuning in. Whether you're in the office, you're on the commute, you got the day off, whatever it may be. Hey, maybe you're on vacation. Heck, I don't know. Hope you guys are all doing well. Again, appreciate you guys all tuning in. I also do want to say thank you so much. I'm so grateful for you all for the love and support. You guys continue to share the content, show love to the content. Um, It's awesome. Right now, the content is rolling with baseball, with spring football, with everything else going on. So again, guys, from the bottom of my heart, I'm extremely grateful for every single one of you. And I just want to take a second to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for the continued love and support that you guys show. And again, I'm really excited because this weekend's a big weekend. Without further ado, let's go ahead and dive right into it, guys. And again, I'm excited because the fifth ranked Florida Gators come to town for a three-game series, best of three at Founders Park in Columbia, South Carolina. Friday, first pitch at 7 o'clock on SEC Network Plus. Saturday, first pitch at 4 on SEC Network Plus. Then Sunday, first pitch is at high noon on the SEC Network. So South Carolina, Florida will be on the big channel Sunday at noon. Um, So again, 7 o'clock, 4 o'clock, and noon, your first pitches for this one. Of course, the head coach of the Gators, Kevin O'Sullivan. We're all familiar with him. He's been there now, I think, like what, like, 15 years. He's been there a while. I think 14 or 15 years, something like that. So he's been there. Um, the Gators, if you guys did not know, were actually picked to win the SEC East in the preseason. You know, this was a team looked at in the preseason, looked at as, you know, really one of the best college baseball teams we've seen in quite a while, especially the lineup. It was looked at as one of the best lineups, if not the best lineup in all of college baseball. 2021 so far, the Gators posting a 16-5 and overall record, 3-0 and in the SEC. They did sweep Texas A&M in their opening SEC series last weekend by scores of 13-4, 3-1, and 8-4. But you look, it's been an interesting season for Florida because I think 
they've almost kind of, I don't want to say flown under the radar necessarily. Um, I think that's the wrong way to put it, but you know, they came in this season number one and things got off to a disappointing start, actually lost two of three to their arch rival Miami at home. Um, And here's a crazy stat for you, by the way, guys, just randomly looking at their schedule, Florida has not played a game outside of the state of Florida this season have not played a single game outside of the state of Florida. And they've only played, I believe two games, not in Gainesville. Yeah. They've played a game in Jacksonville and they've played a game in Tallahassee. 19 of their 21 games have come at home and all 21 have come in the state of Florida. So again, this weekend series will be the first time the Gators have stepped outside the state of Florida this Season, but again, they sit 16 and five overall, three and zero in the SEC. Let's take a look at the Gators pitching really, really quickly because again, they are an elite SEC ball club, so you know they got elite arms, and that shows in the stat sheet as well. A 3.5 staff ERA, which again, guys, like I told you, you know, some would argue it's been a fairly disappointing start of the season for Florida, and, and I know the the Gators faithful are not thrilled with that 3.50 staff ERA number, especially I know probably Kevin O'Sullivan's pulling his hair out because that is a guy, if you guys didn't know, uh, his past obviously being a pitching coach, he's a pitching guy, and again, he takes a lot of pride in that pitching staff down there in Gainesville, and they've got elite arms all over the place, though. Do not let that number fool you, that 3.5 staff ERA. Again, power arms. It is typical power arms in the Florida pitching staff. And again, another elite Friday arm the Gamecocks will see in Tommy Mace, guys. That being said, let's talk about that Florida Gators starting rotation, what they'll roll out there this weekend. Again, just like I mentioned, Friday, right-handed pitcher Tommy Mace. He's 4-0, the 2.10 ERA. On Saturday, they'll go with right-handed pitcher Jack Leftwich, 4-0 with a 1.71 ERA. And then Sunday, they'll go with the lefty, the Southpaw, Hunter Barco, 3-1, with a 5.26 ERA. But again, guys, this is just another typical Florida Gators pitching staff. Again, a lot of power arms, a lot of guys that can throw the absolute piss out of the baseball. And again, Tommy Mace is one of the best guys in the SEC, one of the top pitchers in the SEC, another elite Friday night arm. Again, is he on the level of Kumar Rocker or Jack Leiter? No, I wouldn't put him there. Again, I think those two guys are in a universe and in a stratosphere of their own. They honestly, they they honestly go beyond everything a college pitcher is and probably should be at this point. But Tommy May certainly one of the top pitchers in the SEC and again the numbers show that, but all overall a really talented pitching staff in Gainesville they'll bring to Columbia. Let's look at the hitting side of things for the Gators guys. They hit 302 as a team. Um so very very solid across the board again. This was a lineup guys like I told you that was looked at as possibly being the best lineup in all college baseball. Again, a 302 team average. They've hit 27 home runs on the season in 21 overall games, a 390 on base percentage. So nothing crazy, really. Actually, a lower on base percentage than Vanderbilt had coming into the series last weekend. And they're 11 for 16 in stolen bases. So again, a team that's fairly athletic will run every now and then. But again, I would not say that is their strong suit, if you will, as a lineup. Let's look at the players to watch for, just a few of them for Florida guys. And you've got to start. When you talk about this Florida lineup, you've got to start with outfielder Jude Fabian. Jude Fabian, the preseason all-conference player of the year, hitting 289 right now, got off to a really, really slow start, but they've stuck with him. They haven't taken him out of the lineup. He's played every single game this season. He's starting to come around, starting to swing it a little bit better, hitting 289 this season. But even with that being said, he's got eight home runs, 23 RBIs. Guys, this dude is an absolute 
stud and somebody the Gamecocks are going to have to deal with effectively this weekend to have a chance. So, again, outfielder Jude Fabian, certainly somebody to watch for. Catcher Nathan Hickey. And, again, one thing I'll mention with this Gators team, really, really talented young players. they got a lot of good freshmen. And Nathan Hickey, certainly one of them, hitting 347, four homers, 22 RBIs, and is really, really good behind the plate for the Gators. And then infielder Colby Halter, another true freshman. He's hitting 348, three homers, 20 RBIs. So, again, one through nine down the lineup. Again, it's a typical Florida baseball team. They're extremely talented. They're extremely athletic. They've got power arms. They've got guys that can hurt you in the lineup. They're well-rounded all across the board. Again, Kevin O'Sullivan has done a great job in building that Gators program. All right, let's move to the South Carolina side of things because, again, there are a lot of storylines and there's a lot of things to talk about. We've got to start with the updated weekend rotation, guys. Normally, you know, I I, kind of skate through the rotation because it's the same week after week after week. In case you missed it, that is not the case this week. Mark Kingston, with his media availability on Wednesday, told the media that this will be the rotation. Friday, Saturday, the exact same. Right-handed pitcher Thomas Farr, right-handed pitcher Brandon Jordan going Friday, Saturday. Sunday is the big TBA. TBA for the Gamecocks on Sunday. And Mark Kingston basically citing, you know, the way things are trending and, you know, we don't know who it may be. You know, we think Julian Bosnick has thrown well. He's not injured, by the way. He made very, very, he made sure to make clear that Julian Bosnick's not hurt, no blisters, nothing like that. But he basically said with the way things are, quote unquote, trending with the pitching staff and that Brett Carey would be someone who'd be an option and they have some other guys, whatever. I think what this means, guys, and again, that moves me right into watch the, what to watch for, because that's got to be the lead storyline coming in this weekend, is that Sunday TBA. Just what does that mean uh, for the Gamecocks starting rotation? And what did Mark Kingston mean in his comments? I think this is what he meant when he said, you know, from what we've seen and the way things are trending. And I'm surprised because I really thought they would not have such a quick trigger with Julian Bosden. Because, I mean, this is a guy, listen, his first 16 and what, two-thirds innings pitch of his career didn't even give up a hit. So the guy has thrown a lot of quality baseball. But back-to-back starts, he has struggled. And we did talk about this in the preseason, guys, that, you know, there are guys on this staff that are capable of stealing jobs, that are capable of stealing that Sunday role. And, you know, we said before, before the season even started, if one of these guys were to slip up, you got guys like Brett Carey, Will Sanders, Andy Peters that are, that are going to be waiting in the wings, licking their chops to get their opportunity. I think when you look, you know, Julian Bosnick, he hasn't been terrible by any means, but hasn't been great. Hasn't been great. Just call it for what it is. Has not been great the last two outings. Um, got roughed up a little bit in Texas for sure and got, got touched up again at Vandy. And so I, I think Mark Kingston and staff, they're looking at this thing and they're saying, you know what? We got to go with the hot hand now. We got to make this change now. We cannot sit there and wait. And and, and you, you don't want to say concede the Sunday game because, again, I, I think if Julian Bosnick got the opportunity, I think he'd throw well. I'd like to believe he'd throw well, but I think they're just looking at all options right now. I think Mark Kingston is a guy who has a little bit of a quick trigger. I think you see that in the Gamecocks starting lineup. I think you see that a lot in the lineup when you see guys shuffling around. We're seeing it at third base right now, I think. I think he's a guy that has a very, very quick trigger when it comes to changes like that. And um, so who will it be? Who will the guy be on Sunday? Will it end up being Julian Bosnick anyways? Will it be, um, you know, a Brett Carey? Will it be a Will Sanders? And again, I, I, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not totally shocked 
at what Mark Kingston said about the TBA on Sunday because if you listen to his comments after the Tuesday game against the Citadel, again, it made me raise an eyebrow, and it was something really interesting because Mark Kingston said, you know, the thing I loved most about Will Sanders' outing was his efficiency going five innings and only throwing 67 pitches, which would make him available potentially for Sunday. And so when Kingston said that, I thought to myself, wait, why specifically Sunday? Are they going to start him Sunday? Are they considering starting him Sunday? Um, So again, I think it's going to come down, guys, honestly, between Will Sanders and Brett Carey. And I think you could make a strong case for both. You know, Brett Carey, you saw what he did last weekend against Vandy, right? And he's a guy, you know what you're going to get out of Brett Carey. The stuff is really, really good. He attacks the strike zone. He throws a ton of strikes. He's going to battle. He's a bulldog on the mound for you. He's a competitor. He's pitched a lot of big innings for South Carolina. Um, and then Will Sanders, who, you know, obviously had his best outing ever as a Gamecock. Again, was it against the Citadel? Yes, but still had his best outing as a Gamecock by far on Tuesday. Five innings pitched, 10 strikeouts, gave up just the one hit and one run. But the stuff is there. I mean, Will Sanders, when you think of a typical weekend arm you think of a guy like will sanders he's got the build he's got the stuff he's got an electric fastball he's got devastating breaking stuff he's got a good changeup. he has got the arsenal and obviously again he can go the distance i mean he went five innings of the night and he was not he was not really laboring in that fifth inning i mean the guy was cruising in that game so you know i think it's going to come down to either carry or sanders and again mark kingston said depending on how they use brett carry so it sounds like if they don't have to use Kerry Friday, Saturday, he will get the start Sunday. I will say this. I'm totally fine with if they want to go with Brett Kerry. I'm totally fine with that. Do I love him as a starter? You know, the only thing is this I'll say is that, you know, we did this last year and he was a starter last year. I just think Kerry's the kind of guy that, listen, the stuff is really, really good. And he dealt against Vandy. I mean, he absolutely dealt against Vandy. But he's the kind of guy that, and you see this happen sometimes with Brandon Jordan too that he has to locate. And, and, I know, and I know that sounds, you're like, Chris, what are you talking about? Of course, everyone has to locate. Listen, hear me out what I mean by that. He has to locate because his stuff is not good enough to miss over the heart of the plate, especially against a lineup like Florida. I think a guy like Will Sanders, because he throws so hard, he's more of a guy that, hey, if he leaves 95, 96 down the middle, it might be down the middle, but good luck hitting it. Brett Carey, it's more so like if he has an off day, um, his floor is a lot lower. Let me put it that way. I think his floor is a lot lower. Brett Carey, I think, works really, really well in a smaller sample size in an inning, two innings. And again, that's not to say he cannot be successful as a starter. I'm not trying to say that. I would feel very confident. I feel confident every single time Brett Carey takes them out. I'd feel confident if they want to start him. I'd be totally fine with that. But again, if I had to pick one of the two guys, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 there's things to like about them both. The only thing that concerns you about Will Sanders is he is a true freshman and putting him on that spotlight, putting him on that stage. You know, do you feel comfortable? Hey, if you split the first two games, do you feel confident starting the true freshman in the rubber match? Or would you rather go with a guy like Brett Carey, who again has been there, done that? He's thrown big innings for you. He's been in those situations. Again, it'll be really interesting to follow. It'll be really interesting to see. And then again, what does this mean for Julian Bosnick? Where does he go? Does he slide to the midweek, God forbid? Does he does he slide to the bullpen? I mean, what does it mean for, again, a guy that I still think can be a really, really big part of this ball club? And I will say, again, I'm surprised 
to see them making this move this quickly, you know, I thought they'd give him at least one more start. I thought they'd give him this Sunday game. If he didn't perform well, okay, time to pull the trigger. But you know what? I just think that this is a coaching staff that is taking a step back, looking and saying, you know what? We've lost back-to-back series. We got a big home series against Florida that I think if you win two of three could serve as a spark plug for your season and really, really spark things for the positive going down the road and all that good stuff. And, I think they're saying, no, we got to make the move now. We cannot wait. We got to make the move now. And I mean, I, I respect it either way. I mean, if they want to go ahead and make the move, I totally respect it, which they obviously are with it being TBA on Sunday. But uh, the question again, will it be Sanders? Will it be Kerry? And again, for those asking, I would be confident with both guys. I like Kerry a lot. Again, he's a strike thrower. He's been there, done that. Um, obviously, what he did last week at Vandy against a really talented Vandy lineup. I would feel good about him starting that Sunday game. And then Will Sanders, the guy who, like I said, I think he's going to be your Friday night guy, guys, next year. Like, I think he's your Friday night guy next year. So, I'd feel confident with both these guys. Um, it'll be very interesting to see and follow along and see who Mark Kingston and Skyler Mead settle on for that Sunday spot. With that being said, guys, something else I'm watching for, you know, we're talking about the starters. What does this mean for the closure role? Because Brett Carey opened the season – as your closer. And I will say this, I think another reason why they're making this move and why they're considering moving Brett Carey to the starting rotation once again, and hear me out because I think the closer role, having a closer is very, very important, especially at the major league level when there's so many close games. But have you really had the need for a closer this season outside of the Clemson game, the first game when, when Brett Carey actually blew the save. I mean, has, has there been, you know, there haven't been many save opportunities in this season. There really haven't. There haven't been many opportunities for saves in this season. So I think that, you know, Mark Kingston and Skylar Mead are taking a look at and they're saying, okay, we're getting to game three in weekends and Brett Carey is not even pitching up until that point. And Brett Carey, honestly, guys, is just way too – whatever you do with him, whatever you do with him, he's way too good of an arm to go through the weekend and not throw him till Sunday. You got to find a way to get him in the game. You got to find a way to get him out there, right? So I think that's one of the reasons, too, they're making the move is that the closer role has been – has paled in comparison to the importance of that Sunday starter role. Like you really – you know, closer hasn't been an issue this season. It, It hasn't. It just hasn't really even been utilized. But what does it mean? You got to have a guy back there. You got to have a guy in the back end. I think the two guys who are probably the lead candidates to slide back there are Andy Peters and Jack Mahoney. I actually think Jack Mahoney is your closer of the future. I I love what I've seen from the youngster. Again, it's a lot to ask of a true freshman, but I mean, all of his outings have been a a lot to ask for a true freshman. And he has flourished every single time he's taken the baseball. I mean, this is a dude, this is a dude that when I watch again, I don't know him personally, but when I watch this kid, he wants the ball. I mean, he wants to be out there. He's not intimidated. He's not, he's not skittish or scared or, 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 or pitching like a freshman. This guy wants the baseball. I think he wants the pressure from what I can tell. So I feel confident. Again, he has the stuff. I mean, the, the, the stuff is filthy. It's there throwing 95 with the fastball and the breaking stuff. And he's got run on everything and, and, and the power sinker that he features. I mean, I would feel very confident with Jack Mahoney in that closure role. But again, I think it's either going to be Mahoney or Peters. And I'd probably side with Mahoney because, again, Peters has been so good for you in long relief um, that 
I'd probably side with Mahoney in this one. But again, I think it just simply comes down to, and I know I'm spending a lot of time talking about the pitching, but, uh, it, you know, it, it is the most important. It is the most important. I think it just really comes down to how can we best utilize our best guys on the weekend? How, how can we get these guys in the game, get them involved, make sure they all pitch, and, uh, you know, get just, just get the most out of them? You know, because it's, it's going to help our team. It's going to help our ball club. How can we do that? How can we put the pieces in place to spell success for our ball club on the weekends? Something else I'll be watching for, it again, guys, sticking to the pitching side of things. We've got another really – and this is going to be every single Friday, by the way, guys, so I'm sorry if I sound like a broken record, but uh, I'm excited to watch Thomas Farr take the baseball every single Friday this season because, again, the matchups are going to be legendary, and I cannot wait to be there in person Friday to watch this matchup. Thomas Farr against Tommy Mace, the righty for Florida, on Friday. And, again, it's just fun to watch because, like I said, guys, I'm not comparing Thomas Farr to the great Blake Cooper. I'm not doing it, but this really reminds me of that 2010 season in which that, you know, Blake Cooper had a phenomenal year. Incredible. I mean, it was an incredible season. Every game that Blake Cooper came into, he was not the storyline. It was always, oh, man, they've got this guy. Oh, they've got that guy. Oh, you know, I, I remember going specifically, I went to the Friday night game, South Carolina Ole Miss. It was Blake Cooper against Drew Pomeranz. I'll never forget. And all of the talk was about Pomeranz. He's a first-round pick. He does this. He does that. He's this big. He throws this hard. He has this movement. Blake Cooper was overshadowed in every single game that he pitched in. And all he did was go out and just beat everybody. He beat everybody's Friday guy. I don't think Thomas Farr is disrespected quite to that level. But at least these first couple of weekends, guys, it's felt like to me that Thomas Farr has sort of that chip on his shoulder, underdog type feeling. You know, it feels like Thomas Farr is not the, he the headliner. He's not the storyline going into these series. It's all, oh, look at look at Kumar Rocker. Look at, look at Ty Madden. Look at Tommy Mace. And, like, I think Thomas Farr is using that as fuel. I, I think he's quietly going about his business, taking the baseball, shoving it up their ass, and doing his job, which is all you can ask for and all you want. So I just, from the pitching side of things, selfishly, I'm really excited to continue to follow and watch along and see what Thomas Farr does. And because again, I think you're going to look up at some point, probably three, four weeks from now, and the SEC is going to take notice. They're going to say, holy shit, this Farr kid in, in, in Columbia, he's absolutely dealing. This kid is freaking nasty. So again, there's nothing like a Friday night in the SEC and Thomas Farr against Tommy Mace is surely not going to disappoint. It's surely going to be another high profile Fun to watch, incredible baseball game in Columbia, South Carolina. Let's move, guys, what to watch for to the hitting side of things. Because, again, that is the big question, right? I, I said this before that, you know, I feel good every single week weekend that the pitching is going to be there. I, I think the pitching is going to be there. The pitching is going to be consistent. The question revolves around the hitting because it's going to come and go. It's going to come and go, right? And you're going to need it to come more than it goes. Pause. I, sorry, I, I shouldn't have said that. You're, you're going to need to hit the hitting to be there more often than not. And I want to start with something that uh, I made this point on social media yesterday, and that is the bottom of the lineup. The bottom of the lineup, seven through nine. I've talked a lot about the bottom of the lineup this season and the fact of they need to get it going. Guys like Jeff Heinrich, Brennan Malone, Colin Burgess, George Khalil, those guys need to get their asses in gear 
Can the bottom of the lineup stay hot, though? Isn't it crazy we're even asking that question? I can't believe it. Like I said before, guys, the bottom of the lineup, seven through nine, went five for 11 with five RBI in a Tuesday night game. And yes, it's Sidero, but Sidero was rolling some good arms out there, by the way. Guys that were 92 to 93, 94 had really, really good stuff, by the way. Now, of course, that competition bumps up when you take on the Florida Gators. But I think that we all feel really good. We feel pretty good in regards to one through six. You know, I, I know that Brady Allen, Braylon Wimmer, Wes Clark, Andrew Eister, David Mendham, uh, those guys are going to show up and give me good at bats. I, I feel really, really good. Josiah Seitler, those guys are going to show up weekend after weekend, game after game, and give me good at bats. Again, will there be some hits and misses here or there? Sure, guy's going to get hot, guy's going to get cold, certainly. But I feel good about one through six. Seven through nine, that's the wild card. What can they do? And again, if they can stay hot, if they can keep it going, it's going to make this South Carolina lineup go from being pretty good to lethal. Pretty good to lethal. Again, what can those guys do? Heinrich, Burgess, Khalil, that's the three guys I'd expect it to be this weekend. Maybe Malone gets in there at third base as well. But that was an encouraging sign on Tuesday night. Can they get it going? Can they continue to stay hot? And if nothing else, here's the thing. Nobody is asking those guys to hit 350 this season and hit 20 bombs. But productive outs, tough at bats. Just, you know, the biggest thing I talked about this with George Khalil, just don't be an automatic out. Whatever you do, just don't be an automatic out. Give me something. Show me something. Provide me with tough at bats. Provide me with quality at bats down the bottom of the lineup. Because, again, it's just going to make that lineup that much better. Speaking of that Gamecocks lineup, my question, one of the things I'm watching for as well is this, guys. I talked about one through six, but there's two guys in particular that I'm really keeping an eye on. Because, you know, I feel confident in Brady Allen. Braylon Wimmer swinging it well. Josiah Seitler continues to swing it well. Wes Clark is Wes Clark. Andrew Eister and David Mendham. And I looked, out, I looked up at the scoreboard, guys, on Tuesday, and I looked. Andrew Eister was at the plate, and I saw his average, 254. 254 for Andrew Eister. And I just looked at that. I shook my head, and I was like, I just can't believe a guy, the quality of Andrew Eister, the quality of hitter, quality of player that he is, has an average hovering around 250. And I think this is a guy that's really important to the South Carolina lineup. You know, we saw it early in the season with his walk-offs against Clemson and just the type of impact he can make. And then David Mendham, a guy that has had a very interesting year, to say the least. And teams are now starting to shift him. We saw that in the Citadel game. I mean, they are literally shifting their entire infield over where there's no third baseman. Can David Mendham make an adjustment? Can he get going and make an adjustment? They're telling you they don't think you can hit backside, bro. Bottom line. They're saying you cannot hit backside. So David I or excuse, David Eister, David Mendham and Andrew Eister. Can those two guys finally get going? Again, you like to see all of your guys being hot, feeling good. And again, especially Andrew Eister. That's your senior leader. That's your senior outfielder, a key piece of your lineup. Those guys are going to be right there in the power part of the lineup, in the five and the six hole. Can they get it going this weekend again against a really Really tough Florida pitching staff. And, that, and that's going to be the question for this entire offense, guys. Again, I, I think, you know, as we continue to go, we're going we're gonna to know the identity of this team. It is power. You know, you're back home, which makes me feel really good about the power numbers this weekend at Founders Park. It'll be a warm weekend for baseball, so the, the, the ball should be flying all over the place. But 
like I said, I feel good about the pitching weekend after weekend. The question is, can the hitting do enough? Can it do enough against a really, really tough Florida pitching staff? And then my final thing, guys, that I'm watching for, and really I just think my final storyline in this one, you know, South Carolina comes in this weekend one and two in conference play. Florida is undefeated, three and oh. My question is this, just how important is this series for South Carolina? Because, you know, when we were in the midst of the Vandy weekend last week, and I'll be honest, guys, I, I, I muttered to myself, I said, I, you know, Florida's a must win. You, you got to take two out of three after this. And I, I say that, and I also want to follow that up with, you know, if you, if you, if, big if, if you lose two out of three to Florida, your season's not over, you know, you've gone through the gauntlet, but your season is not done, right? Your season's not done. Let's make that very clear. With that being said, though, you get the Gators at home, right? You've had a rough last two weekends against Texas and Vandy on the road. Just like any other sport, it is paramount that you protect your home field. And again, I know Florida's ranked fifth in the country. I know they've got talent all over the place. They've got guys who throw the piss out of the baseball. They've got hitters all up and down their lineup that can swing it. I totally get it. But I just think that for the momentum of this season and to really get things going in SEC play and to really spark your season, is this a must win? No, it is not. I think must win is far too strong. But with that being said, I think this one is really, really, really important. Again, you're at home. You've got a little bit of momentum once again, winning back-to-back games. And, you know, people are still questioning the legitimacy of this team, which, again, I think is wrong. I think this is a good ball club. It's not a perfect ball club by any stretch, but it's a good ball club. It's a quality ball club. But at some point, we can continue to say that over and over and over, and we can talk about this guy and that guy and these guys in the lineup and these guys in the pitching staff. But you got to go put it together and go win games. That's what it's come down. That's what it comes down to, right? You got to go win series. You got to find a way to win series. And when you're at home, and this is a Florida team, by the way, guys, that I've been able to, for whatever reason, I've watched a fair amount of Florida baseball this year. I don't really know what it is, but I've watched them in the midweek, if nothing else. And I know the midweek is totally different than the weekend. We all know that. But I've gotten the opportunity to watch Florida this year. And Listen, they're very good. They're very good. They've got talent over the place. But they're not unbeatable by any stretch of the imagination. They're not. This is a very gettable Florida team. But the importance of this series, like I said, you know, you lost two of three to Vandy. I think we can all live with that because of what they offer on the mound. But coming home, you're in your backyard, you're at Founders Park. It's always big when South Carolina and Florida play. You know, these two teams, these two programs, and baseball especially, do not like each other. Like I told you guys, I hate Florida. I despise Florida. I don't like the Gators. I have no love for the Gators, especially in baseball. You know, we all know the history with the 2011 College World Series final and, and all those, 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 those intense regular season matchups, and we all understand that. But for this season, like I said, guys, it's not a series where if you lose two out of three, your season's over. It's not must win necessarily, but man, would it ever be big to 
take two out of three to it would just be a huge kick in the rear to your season would be a huge bolt of confidence and excitement and saying okay here we go here we are we're we're a legit ball club we're going to put our foot down we're going to make a statement and that's what the, that's what you have the opportunity to do this weekend at home you have the opportunity to make a statement say here we are we're a legit player in this SEC East race you know what Vandy's the favorite for sure they got those arms but we are going to be right there every single step of the way and i think when you look at a season and you talk about the potentials of hosting and making the postseason and, and where are you going to fall, it's a series like this that the difference between hosting and being a two or three seed somewhere, the difference is winning two out of three or losing two out of three in a weekend like this. It really is, in my opinion. So, again, a huge series. Anytime the Gamecocks and the Gators step foot on the baseball field together, you can always be assured there's going to be dramatics. No question. And by the way, here's an interesting storyline. Because the SEC season got taken away last year, the last time these two teams met was the 2019 season, guys, if you remember in Gainesville, when South Carolina lost game three on a walk-off home run to lose the series. So again, I wonder, you know, Wesley Sweat was the one that gave up that home run. I'm sure there's guys on that roster who still have a nasty taste in their mouth from that experience and would love to return the favor to Florida. All right, guys, let's move into the key player for this weekend. And I'll save you guys the dramatics. Again, you talk about this starting rotation. You feel good about Farron Jordan. My key player of this weekend, though, is right-handed pitcher Brett Carey. Again, I don't know if he's going to get the start Sunday. I have no idea. He might, he might not. But either way, I think that this staff is going to make it a point to use Brett Carey. And to get him the baseball and to have him make an impact. So whether that's on Friday, whether that's on Saturday, whether he starts Sunday, Brett Carey are, is going to pitch some very, very big innings for South Carolina this weekend. I feel confident in saying that. So, you know, this is a team, no question, you're going to lean on your pitching staff. I, I, I think that certainly we'd love to see the offensive explosion, but especially in SEC baseball, man, it's, it's not going to be a 12 to 10 game. I mean, these are going to be tight, low scoring games. You know, pitching is the name of the game, pitching and defense. And when you have a guy like Brett Carey that can sort of do it all, he can close the game, he can do middle relief, he can start, he can do everything. I think this is going to be a guy that South kind of turns to. I, 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 I would almost guarantee you guys, if South Carolina, let's say Friday, let's say it's two to one in the seventh, I'm guaranteeing you. Brett Carey is going to be the first man to get the baseball. He's going to be the first guy out of that bullpen, and they're going to say, you know what? We're going to ride you out the rest of the way. Get us home to victory. Get us home to the promised land. I promise you that's what's going to happen. So my key player of the weekend, again, right in the picture, Brett Carey, I think he's probably going to be the most important player this weekend because I just think this staff is going to do everything in their power to give him the big innings. They're going to give him the big innings, whether that be starting on Sunday, whether that be closing down a game on Friday or Saturday. Brett Carey is going to be responsible for either winning or losing a baseball game this weekend. I 110% guarantee you that. So with that being said, guys, that's going to wrap up my series preview. The Gamecocks taking on the fifth-ranked Florida Gators this weekend. I will have my official prediction on tomorrow's show. And I'll be honest with you guys, I don't have a clue at this point which way I'm going with it. I, I really don't. Um, you know, I keep going back and forth. I think it's a great opportunity for South Carolina, especially again at home. You're at Founders Park. It should be a fairly good crowd. Um, I'm planning on being there, but again, it should be a good crowd. It should be an electric atmosphere for college baseball. And 
oh, man, I only wish it could have we could have a, a capacity crowd at Founders Park. But either way, it's going to be a fantastic weekend. And I keep going back and forth. I think both teams are really quality. I think both teams are very comparable in many different ways. But, um, yeah, should be a lot of fun. So, again, my prediction will drop on tomorrow's podcast in case you're interested in wondering and knowing who, uh, who I'm picking in the series this weekend. All right, guys, before we get to our interview, let's talk a little bit of news and notes, and then we'll get into your listener questions, guys. Um, Pro Day. Pro Day happened yesterday. And just a couple of quick notes um, from guys that performed at Pro Day. From guys that perform, I'm just looking at the stats here really quickly. Um, let's see. Okay, here we go. Here we go. So, J.C. Horn running a 4-3-9-40. Sedarius Hutchinson running a 4-9. Shai Smith running a 4-3-2. My God. My God. Israel McQuamu did not run a 40 due to a hamstring injury. Ernest Jones ran a 4.73. So, again, a lot of guys making themselves a lot of money. J.C. Horn, though, really standing out yesterday in the pro day. Um, again, he's going to be a first-rounder. There's no question. And, and I'll say this, by the way, on a separate side note. Um, is J.C. Horn my favorite Gamecock of all time? No, he is not. I'll just be totally honest. He's not. But if you're one of those people – that every time we throw up a piece of J.C. Horn content or, you know, you, you always feel the need to comment on J.C. Horn content, whether it's from us, whether it's from, you know, the school, whether it's from a different outlet, whatever. But to the people that continue to comment and say, oh, he's a quitter, you know, why is he getting to use the facility? He's a quitter. He quit on his team. Again, is J.C. Horn my favorite Gamecock of all time? No, he's far from it. But I would just say to you guys, dude, just let it go. Just, just let it go. Who gives a damn? You know what I mean? Like the people that continue to just over and over and over and over just try to bash and tear him down. And listen, we all have our opinions on the opt-out stuff, all that. You know, people, if you want to call him a quitter, that's totally on you. And if you think he's a, he's a trash human being, you are entitled to every opinion that you have. But it doesn't mean you should voice it on social media. I don't know why people cannot get that through their skulls. Like, if you're one of those people that says, oh, he's a quitter. Oh, he, you know, he shouldn't get to use our facilities. He shouldn't even wear our logo. Just keep it to yourself, guys. Because I can tell you this, just a piece of life advice to Gamecock fans, but this is life advice. When you hold a grudge, which that's what it is, right? When you're coming after J.C. Horn, you hold a grudge. When you hold a grudge, it doesn't hurt the other person, guys. It only hurts the person who's holding the grudge. You're only hurting yourself. You really think J.C. Horn gives a damn what you think about him? No. No, he does not. He does not care what you think. He's about to be a millionaire. He does not care. So, again, that's just my little rant. Like, I just keep seeing these comments. We continue to throw up J.C. Horn content. Like I said, the guy's not my favorite Gamecock either. He's not. Bottom line, he's just not. I feel comfortable saying that. But I also don't wish him any ill will, and I want him to do well. Because guess what, guys? Whether you like it or not, it looks good on the school. If we have a first-round draft pick, that looks really good on Carolina. So I hope he balls out. I hope he does well. I, I wish no, no ill will towards him. I wish him nothing but massive success. And, you know, bygones be bygones, and, and we go from there. But uh, 
I don't know. I just just felt the need to say that because I've been seeing a lot of these comments from people, and I'm just like, dude, just let it go. Just let it go. What good is it doing you to continue to hold on to it? So just let it go, guys. Just everybody love everybody. Let's all be happy. Um, one other quick note, guys, on the baseball side of things, outfielder Josh Schuler entering the transfer portal, um, a kid that highly touted but was injured this year. Um, he's going to enter the transfer portal. I think he already has. So best of luck to Josh. You know, I have no clue what happened or what was going on. But, uh, yeah, you know, deep, talented USC outfield. I'm sure it has a lot to do with playing time. So wish Josh nothing but the best. All right, let's get into your listener questions, guys, and then we'll dive into our interview. Trip underscore zero five. Thoughts on Florida's pitching? Do you think they're better than ours? I actually think the two pitching staffs are really, really comparable. I think Florida might have a couple of more power arms than we do. But, uh, no, I mean, listen, overall, I I think the pitching staffs are very comparable, and it's going to be a lot of fun to watch those two staffs duke it out this weekend in Columbia. That's for sure. Uh, Ben Smitty 2017 says, is it safe to say Frank ain't getting fired? Ben, I I don't think it is at all. I I don't think it's safe to say that at all. I mean, listen, if you think that the silence from the school – is a positive for Frank? I mean, I, I don't really know what to tell you. I don't know what would make you think that. Because, listen, think about it. If he was coming back, if the school was 110% invested in him and believed in him as the guy, why would they not have already said that? I mean, it makes no sense. And, again, where there's smoke, there's fire. And all of the smoke around him, you know, looking for another job and USC doesn't want him back, there has been – an absurd amount of smoke. So am I saying for certain one thing or another thing's happening? No, I am not. But I don't think it's safe to say that he is safe. I, I don't think at all. So listen, I'm waiting see mode just as you are, Ben, and, and I'm ready for it to be, re- be resolved because it's just kind of crazy this long process we've had of, of waiting around uh, to see what his future holds. It's just, it's, it's wild to me. Uh, last question, D Bush underscore who you got money on in the NCAA men's tournament besides Gonzaga? You know what th- who I think would be a really good sneaky pick? Alabama. I, I really do. I think Alabama would be a-, a good sneaky pick. But but I will say this, my champion, I picked Gonzaga. I mean, how, how, can, how can you go against the Zags? How, how can you go against them? So, good question. But guys, appreciate the questions. Appreciate you guys engaging now. Don't go anywhere. we got a great conversation, great interview. Former Gamecocks wide receiver, Jason Barnes, guys, really excited for you guys to hear this again, his perspective on his playing days. And, of course, Shane Beamer, he was there when Coach Beamer was at South Carolina, so really good stuff. But, again, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. That's going to do it all for me, guys. Like I said, continue to show love, support the content. We've got the content rolling here this week. We'll be live for the Daily Crow today and tomorrow, of course, podcast more, and then we'll go into the weekend with the South Carolina Florida series but again guys thank you so much for the love that's going to do it all for me now enjoy this interview with former Gamecocks wide receiver Jason Barnes all right joining us on the Spurs up show is a man that played for Gamecocks football from 2007 to 2011 during his career he hauled in 64 catches for 778 yards and two touchdowns he was also of course a member of the South Carolina team that won the 2010 SEC East title and the 2011 team that won 11 games for the first time in school history. Currently, he's serving as the wide receivers coach at Dutch Fork and doing a hell of a job, I might add, at it. Very pleased to be joined by former Gamecocks wide receiver Jason Barnes. Jason, appreciate you taking the time, man. It's a pleasure having you on. Thanks so much for doing this. Oh, yeah, man. Anytime. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So, Jason, I want to go back to the beginning for you, my friend, because, hey, you're from Charlotte, North Carolina. But more importantly, you know, you were a part of that 2007 recruiting class, Jason, that I would say 
you know, really got things going for South Carolina. That class was ranked seventh in the country. And really, you look back and you look back at some of the names, Cliff Matthews, Chris Culliver, yourself, Stephen Garcia, Travian Robertson, Melvin Ingram was in that class, Clifton Gathers, Wesley Saunders. Again, you can just keep going down the list of names. And really, you were the guys that I think, you know, Coach Spurrier had been there a couple of years, was really starting to get things going. But that 07 class, I would say, had a really, really big impact in getting to, you know, eventually the 2010 SEC championship game and then 11 through 13, the run we saw. But again, for you individually, your recruitment, what was that like? Obviously, again, you're from Charlotte, North Carolina, so not in state, but right there on the border. And of course, Steve Spurrier down at South Carolina doing his thing, building the program. I'm sure the opportunity to play for the head ball coach and his offense. And obviously you're thinking, you know, I'm a wide receiver. I'm going to catch a ton of passes. But what was the recruiting process like for you and what eventually made you want to become a Gamecock? Oh, well, I, I always uh, – I, I was – Coach Knox was real heavy a part of my recruiting process, and it was something that we both wanted to keep very simple. I wasn't a guy that really liked all the attention that comes with it. So, at a very early age, we both agreed that we would keep it between North Carolina and South Carolina. So, it's kind of kind of had a top two mm-hmm. before I even got a scholarship offer from those universities. Um, so, when I finally was uh, – able to get those offers it was pretty cool because it was it was something that we had already planned and so I just kind of kept it simple the whole time and coach Spurrier being there was was a huge plus he knew he's gonna throw the ball a lot North Carolina wasn't too far away from home and South Carolina wasn't too far away from home so I, that was kind of the things that was really important to me catching a lot of balls obviously and being close enough to my family where they could come watch me play and, and obviously want to help turn the program around because both programs were kind of uh, in the, not in the best situations at that point. And I kind of wanted to be a part of, of, of changing that. Mm. So that, that was the things I was looking at in my recruitment process. Yeah, and like I said, I know during the recruiting process, you're really locked in on yourself, obviously, and you're thinking about your junior and senior seasons and finding the best fit for you, but – I guess what was it like, I guess, when you looked around and you just realized kind of the shape of the class and just how elite that class was and some of the guys you were coming in with? I'm sure that had to be exciting times for you, just kind of looking around and just seeing the quality of players that that Carolina was bringing in along with yourself. Because as we all know, you know, obviously you're, you're assisting young men right now. You know, good players want to play with good players. You know what I mean? They, they want to play together and do special things. And again, I, I'm sure that that had to be something that really excited you when you looked around that 07 class and were like, you know, we may be, may be able to do some special things with this group of guys. I mean, what made it so special was we kind of all knew each other in high school as well, playing against each other in North Carolina and, and then real big in the Trombo. It was a bunch mm. of us that played in the Trombo, whether we all played together on the Trombo or played against each other. So we were all able to get to know each other that week of the Trombo. So, I mean, both, I mean, the South Carolina program had great coaches. It was just missing those, those players that, that, that was coming from those winning programs and was ready to change that thing around together. And uh, we was kind of together before we even got there. So when we got there, it was kind of like, all right, let's now, now let's get to work. We talked about it and we said what we was going to do, and now it's time to get it done. So it, it was definitely pretty cool coming in with a great group of guys like that. It had like a five, four-star receivers coming in on that class, a great quarterback in Garcia, um, great, great running backs, and great defensive players, mm-hmm. just – we, we we had we had everything. So and we knew that the coaching staff knew that we knew that we were going to build something off that. So it was pretty cool to be a part of. 
Yeah. Now I got to ask you about Coach Spurrier, of course, Jason, because you were a wide receiver, and I've had a couple of your former teammates on, and probably most notably that talked about it most openly was uh, Mo Brown, and, and Mo's a character, obviously. But uh, <laughs> I've heard some horror stories uh, about playing wide receiver for Steve Spurrier in the film room, and. You know, it's funny because everybody, when they think of Coach Spurrier, they think about, you know, how tough he is on quarterbacks. And if you throw an interception, you make a mistake. If you drop a pass, I mean, it's just about damn near as bad, I would think, as if you're a quarterback and you throw a pick. <laughs> just just talk about your, you know, your first interactions with Spurrier and then playing for him. Because, again, you know, it's it's funny. We've all seen, like, the videos of Coach Spurrier. You know, he'd actually get out there and do it. Like, he'd, he'd, he'd show you how to run the route or at least try to. You know, he'd show his quarterbacks how to throw and – I mean, again, you're oh, laughing. He, he's a character. Like, there's no other way to put it. Again, he would berate, absolutely just leave you feeling that big in the film room if you messed up. But obviously, he got the most out of his guys. But Coach Spurrier, the, the, the experience you had playing Graham, what was that like? Man, it was, it was never a dull moment around that guy. That, that, man was, that man was something. He'd come over to the, to, to the individual, and he'd be trying to show us the, how to do a release if we're, if we're going against press, and it was just – it was just so funny. The funniest story I got about him is when one time, one time we was in the meeting room and uh, and usually we all kind of set, like the quarterbacks set together, the wide receivers set together, the old linemen set together, running backs set together. And the quarterbacks kind of set on the front row and wide receivers on the second row and running backs and old line kind of set in the back somewhere. So this, this one day, Cal Nunn, who was old lineman decides to sit on the second row, and Coach Spurrier usually sits on the first row with the with the um, quarterbacks. Cal mm. Nunn decides to sit on the uh, <laughs> on the second row, and um and halfway through the meeting, we're going through uh, practice or something, and um and Cal farts behind him. <laughs> um, so Cal farts, and then he kind of Cal starts laughing a little bit, and Coach Spurrier turns around. He's like, he got so mad. Get, that's not funny. He got so mad. Get from around me. He like kicked Cal out of the meeting room because he farted. <laughs> it was just, it, it was always things like that happening, whether he calls Garcia up to the to the board to, to do it, to draw a play and coach it. And Garcia doesn't say something quite right. He gets so mad. Dude, he's just—he's a perfectionist, though. He wants things done the exact way he teaches them, the exact way he's thinking. He wants you to think like him, and he—he uh, he always coached the little things. He—he he, he find the smallest little details. If sometime, once, sometime I used to run, and only one of my arms would be pumping. One time I hurt my shoulder, and only one arm was pumping because my other shoulder was hurting, and I didn't want to come out. And he chewed me out that, that next meeting. I was running a corner and I got open and he was like, what are you doing? What Your arms aren't even pumping. <laughs> oh man. I can sit here and tell stories all day about that guy. That guy there is a trip, man. <laughs> on, on that note, I, I'm curious for you, Jason, because again, I'm sure it had to be funny because while I, I think specifically while you were there, you know, a couple of, I think it was about a month or two ago, uh, I had Chris Smelly on the show, and of course, I've, I've talked to Garcia and whatever, but uh, I, I, it just had to be entertainment for you guys to watch the musical chairs at quarterback from afar. Because I, I was talking to – I've talked to both Smelly and Garcia about this game, and I know you remember this, but the 2008 Arkansas game, and I was there 
when Steven Garcia and Chris Smelly literally interchanged every single play. And, and again, <laughs> that's directly affecting you, though, at wide receiver. So oh, yeah. I'm just like, what was – obviously, you can't really change up, you know, your the, the way you play the game. But how – I guess, was, was that tough on the wide receivers too? Like, literally sometimes play to play, not even knowing who the quarterback was going to be. I mean, not really. He kind of, he kind of the way he did it in the game. He did it the same way in practice. So mm. he told us what it was going to be in the game, and he, he said, once a guy proves himself to be the number one guy, that's when we we'll have a number one guy. But until then, we're going to keep rotating them in and out until we figure <laughs> this thing out. So <laughs> it was, it, it wasn't really funny. It was kind of like you kind of as a receiver, you just worry about what you can control. It has nothing right. to do with you. You just go out there and get open, and the ball come to you. You try to make a play on it. Um, but but yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of like we we get behind Garcia, like come on, dude, like let's get rolling, like get in a rhythm so you can stay in there. And then Garcia makes some mistakes, and then Smelly comes in, and like Smelly, come on, like let's go. <laughs> like, so you, <laughs> you're kind of you're kind of kind of trying to root both of them on, like right, right. Just 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 supporting them both, just because they're both your brothers, and you want them to see both of them do well. And that's just what football is, competing and. Coach Perry, that's he truly believed in that. The best is going to be on the field until he realizes who the best is and everybody's going to play. So it's kind of – I respected it, man. So somebody showed us that they was going to be the guy. Until then, we're just going to keep rotating. Mm. I kind of do the same thing with my 707. <laughs> <laughs> I do the same thing with my 707 team until I figure out who I want in there. I'm going to just mm. keep rotating until some guys make plays. Mm. For sure. Now, I, I want to move to 2008, Jason, because that 2008 Ole Miss game in Oxford, that's basically known as the Jason Barnes game. Uh, it's kind of how fans look at it. I feel like you had two touchdown catches um, in that game. And, and I think back, man, one of them, I, I remember, I think it was the first one. You you got damn near your head taken off. I, I still don't know how you held on to that ball. But I remember because I, I, I remember talking to Smelly about that. And he was like, yeah, I, I put it over the middle and about got him killed. But uh just, just talk about that game. I mean, what clicked for you, man? Because you were always a guy that was a pretty dependable wide out, dependable option out there. But that day, it just, it just all seemed to work out, and you were, you know, right place, right time. Ball came to you, and you made a play. And like I said, obviously, you, you know, made some spectacular catches in that game. But what do you remember most from that game in Oxford? That that big day for you, man. I don't remember much. That hit kind of knocked the whole game out. <laughs> I'd have to imagine. Yeah, I was about to say, it's not surprised. Oh, man. Nah, man, it was a great play. It was, it was Coach Spurrier's favorite play, Mills. He he loved to run that play. We run the post and the dig combination. Mm. And uh, Smelly put it up there, and it was a one-high safety back there. But Smelly had great great arm strength that's sticking in there between them, both of them. And I need being a big big receiver. I feel like that's part of playing receiver. You're going to catch balls where you got to get hit, and you got you to gotta get in there and make a play. So I was happy it stuck in there. I still honestly don't know how it stuck in there neither. <laughs> but I was happy. I was happy I was able to make the play and my teammates got over there and helped me get up and get off the field. So um it's definitely definitely one of my most memorable plays. It's people see me in public still to this day and they're like, You the guy that <laughs> got lit up against Ole Miss? I'm like, Yeah, that, that was me. <laughs> So, I mean, it's pretty cool to still be remembered for something, man. That was a long time ago. So, people to still be talking about that play is pretty amazing. So, yeah, like it I said, it was that, a pretty good game. Yeah. Came, that, then, it was a hell of a game for you. It was a hell of a game. Yeah. I went, I, I came back out after halftime and made a couple more plays. It was just one of those games, kind of like how life goes as well, man. Football and sports in general have a lot to do with life, I think. And mm. some things, sometimes things are just clicking and, and, 
I, I remember playing an intramural game at college one time, and I had a game like that as well. I just couldn't miss a shot that game. I hit like seven threes. Probably the best basketball game I've ever had in my <laughs> life. <laughs> After that, I couldn't hit a three anymore. Set but. the bar so insanely high. <laughs> yeah. you know, expecting to make everything. Yeah. Well, I, I'm so, yeah, curious, J- Jason, to get your, your take on this because it's interesting. You know, you were a guy from Charlotte, but I'm sure you understood the – the Carolina-Clemson rivalry just being so close to I'm sure it, being a guy from North Carolina, you, you understand rivalries. I mean, North Carolina-Duke, it's right there. Um, but yeah. the bitter hatred with Carolina-Clemson, and I think it's it's neat because you saw that rivalry really turn while you were there because Clemson had won. You know, they won back-to-back games against you in 07 and 08, but then, of course, you were a part of, you know, the teams that started. You were the part of the 9, 10, and 11 teams that started the five wins in a row. Um, just just talk about that rivalry as a whole, being a part of that rivalry, the bitterness of it. And then, I, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of pride for you, you know, knowing that you were a part of, you know, starting that five-game winning streak against them. I mean, we – just like we were just talking about their recruiting class earlier, we just took it personal, man. We didn't, we didn't want to fight them. We didn't want to do all the extra stuff, talking junk back and forth. We wanted to, we wanted to line up against them as they they're being in an ACC conference and a basketball conference and us being in an SEC conference and 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 letting them feel it during the game. So we just kind of took that we took we took that person that we took that whole rivalry personal. I remember uh I remember my first year there. I think uh I read I read shirt the first year got hurt by the time we played Clemson and CJ Spiller was talking before the um before the game. And he kind of said something like, what rivalry? He said something like that. It was so long ago, I can't remember. But he said, like, what rivalry? It's not really a rivalry. We beat them all the time. He said something like that. Mm-hmm. And um, that that lit us on fire. <laughs> I, I can still remember that comment to the day. I don't know if that was the exact words he said, but he said something like that. And that changed our whole program. Changed mm-hmm. our everybody's mindset in that locker room. We came together as a locker room, and we built it through recruiting all the guys on the team, we all brought into recruiting when guys came on official visits. We told them what it was. If you came here, we was going to work. We was going to build something. It's going to be special. Join us. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, we turned it around, man. We It's pretty crazy, man, because mm-hmm. now we can't beat them if we paid to beat them. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I, I think that's going to change here soon, though. We got some great coaches in there now. And now they're, now they're rebuilding it back up through recruiting. They're doing an amazing job. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to be on top of Clemson here soon. So I'm rooting for them. Yeah, I definitely want to get into the Shane Beamer stuff in just a bit. But I want to stick with first, Jason. You know, we could spend this entire show talking about the 2010 season and, you know, the special moments and games from that season. And Heck, you think of 0-9-2 with the Ole Miss, the birth of Sandstorm. And, but 2010, I, I'm curious to ask you, because, again, I, I think you're starting to see that right now at Carolina. With we've, we've heard the word culture over and over and over again. And there was obviously a culture shift while you were there. Um, and that's what Steve Spurrier obviously built and was building when he got there. I'm curious, though, that 2010 season, obviously, you guys did really special things, went to the SEC championship game, and it wasn't for Cam Superman Newton, might have won an SEC title. But uh, what do you think from when you got there as a freshman to that 2010 season, what changed the most? I mean, was just the culture that he was building, was it more so reinforced? Did, the, did you see a major culture shift from your freshman year to that? What would, that would have been your redshirt junior year, I guess. Or was it just as simple as you, just, you guys just continue to get really, really, really good players? Or was it a combo of everything I just mentioned? Oh, definitely a combo, man. It, it definitely helped to add Alshon, Stefan, Marcus mm-hmm. Lattimore, 
guys like that to the to the to the team and it and it helped to have leaders. We had leaders from the 07 class like like Patrick DeMarco and and Travion Robinson. We had guys like that, Cliff Matthews on our team that was strong character guys that was you're gonna do it this way if you're gonna play on this team. If you ain't gonna do it this way, then you can leave. We had guys like that in the locker room. So so the 07 guys stepped up as leaders, and then we had those, we had those young guys like like Alshon that was gonna make mind-boggling plays every time the ball's in the air on in the air to him. And 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 then we had coaching staff that that kept staying with it and kept recruiting and kept adding to the playbook. And and then it just it just started rolling, man. And that, that, that season was very special. That season was very special. But Cam Newton was freaking incredible <laughs> yeah i mean yeah obviously what he's doing in the nfl he, he's pretty damn good football player in his own right I, i'm curious because I, I know that the, the alabama game is the default answer but I, I want your your personal take that 2010 season again like i said we could just spend hours talking about that season and and all the special moments is, is there a moment or game that stands out to you know if it is the bama game that's totally fine because again it's hard to beat that one but I guess what stands out to you most from that 2010 season? Because again, I feel like there were so many special moments from that year. Hmm. It have to, it have to be that Bama game. Yeah, I mean, or, I feel like that's got, that's almost got to be the answer. I mean, that's just the, the most, one of the most magical days at Williams Bryce. I think any of us have ever experienced. It was either it have to be definitely Alabama or Georgia. That Georgia game when Mo Mo Brown went completely crazy that game. Mm-hmm. Uh. And it, and it just all came down to Coach Spurrier coming to us before the game, both of those games. I think he pretty much kind of said the same thing, but what he was saying was they're not world beaters. Mm. They, they they strap it up the same way we strap it up. We're prepared. We got great players. They got great players. And it's going to come down to a couple plays or a couple mistakes we make. A couple You make a mistake, that could cost us the game. So everybody kind of laid it on the line. Melvin, I remember before the game, Melvin yelled out. <clears throat> he yelled out before the game. Never heard him say this before, but he said, "You you going you can lay it on the line for your brother, because your brother gonna lay it on the line for you." And and that just echoed through the weight and through the locker room. Lay it on the line for your brother, because your brother gonna lay it on the line for you. And then you hear Terrence Campbell on the other side saying, "Never take a day off." We knew this was gonna pay off. And we had things like that around this team, like strong values and guys sticking together. We were family. We were all brothers, and we all played for each other. When, when one person made a play, we were all – when Alshon made a one-hand play, you see me and Tori on the other side jumping around like we just made a one-hand catch. You know what I mean? So, it, we all we all saluted each other and cheered for each other, and we all helped each other get better. We built it in practice, helping, helping each other with releases and helping each other with routes and showing each other how to get open. And and we took it, we took it, we took it to Saturdays, man, and made it and turned it into a show. Now, Jason, this is switching gears a little bit, but I'm really curious to uh, to get your perspective on this because I bet this comes up for you a lot in, in coaching now. But you mentioned Alshon, you mentioned Tory, and of course, later in your career, again, the Alshon Jeffries, the Ace Sanders, the Bruce Ellingtons, those guys kind of took center stage and. And, uh, you know, we're in the spotlight if you were. And, and you were there, obviously, again, 10 and 11 as a senior. You know, I, I don't know. You, you could maybe speak better to it. Maybe you didn't get the ball as much as you would have liked. But obviously, being a senior leader, 
on that team. I feel like it can speak to that even if you're not maybe getting all the catches you want or the touchdowns or whatever, you can still have a very big role on a team. And because again, you know, at that point, you were the veteran and a guy like Alshon was was the young buck, you know, or, or ace, you know, he was the young buck. And I'm sure you were there along the entire time kind of with your arm around there, you know, around them, kind of teaching them and helping bring them up. And again, we all know the history of tradition with tradition with wide receivers at South Carolina and, and the history of that position. But just just talk about that, I guess, as far as, you know, on every single team, every single guy has a role. You know what I mean? And there's guys that I, I think we definitely are in a world. I'm so, sure this is something you battle that, you know, everybody wants to be the star player, the playmaker, whatever. And and there's only one ball to go around, right? But you can still have a role. You can still make a positive impact. You can still positively help your team. And I think you definitely exemplified that while you were at <laughs> Carolina. Uh, I, I say all that to say, just kind of talk about and reflect on being a leader on that football team um, for guys like Alshon, Ace, Bruce, and, and, and the rest of that wide receiver room. Oh, yeah, man. Those guys was very talented, man. Very talented. Came in with speed, hands, quickness. But a lot of them didn't come in polished. So they looked at me because I came from a very special background of coaches who could – I had routes and releases and all that th type things where a lot of guys didn't have the type of coaching that I came from. Mm -hmm. So they would see things that I did and I was like, dude, how would you do that? And um, and I'd show them, you know what I mean? I wanted all of them to – I wanted to help everybody. I, I knew that was going to be a part of us changing this thing around. So anytime they would come to me and be like, man, show me that release or – help me run that route you just ran I'd show them and I think that was a big part of helping them them grow to the players they would want to be but it's funny you ask that man because I was telling my 717 not too long ago maybe a couple weeks ago when we was, in, we was at a tournament and I had a couple guys complaining about not getting the ball in my senior year I think I had four catches the whole year and four of those catches all came in the same 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 game <laughs> so all the rest of the games I didn't have a darn catch so and I told them what what football is about is worrying about what you can control you know what I'm saying you're not gonna always get the ball but what you need to do is worry about the reason I got a shot in the NFL was because for one I showed up to pro day and I did really well and but other than that when those NFL scouts or coaches or GMs cut on the film to look at Alshon they see number four on the other side open. <laughs> number four is going to be open. You know what I mean? I can't really control where the ball's going to go, but all I can do is all I can do is worry about what I can control. And I can control being open, mm. running routes on this side, making that DB think I'm running in and I'm running out, make them think I'm running out and I go in. Mm. So they cut on that film and they seen me open. So they, it's just, this is all football is just about worrying about you can control. I couldn't really control where the ball was going, but I just wanted to make sure. And my dad always told me to make sure that I was open, man. And it's going to be somebody that sees that. And it, and it worked out almost exactly like my dad said, it's pretty crazy. But, um, so I, I definitely, it, none of those guys think anything less of me because I had four catches my whole year because I, I bust my behind. Every time we stepped on the field, I worked like I was the star receiver, whether we was in the weight room, whether we was on the, in, in the practice or we was warming up or in the game. I was I, – I, I walked around like I was that guy. <laughs> and, I, and I still do. I don't, I don't know if I'm the best wide receiver coach in it, and, and maybe I am, maybe I'm not, but – when you see me walking on the football field, you're going to be like, yeah, I don't know who that guy is, but he looks like he knows what he's talking about. <laughs> so I definitely think that's part of it. But yeah. 
Um, I, I definitely enjoyed playing with those guys. I learned I, just like they learned a lot from me. I learned a lot from them as well. Man, mm. Bruce, I remember Bruce walked on the field straight from the basketball court and, and ran a dig without breaking down at all. Like I never seen nothing like it. And we all look at him and like, good God, <laughs> they, they taught you that on the basketball court. And, uh, and, and by the end of that practice, he was, uh, he was showing all of us how to run, how to run a dig like that. Mm. So we, we just had guys with good attitudes, with the, with the right mindset. Nobody was hating on each other or, or or throwing anybody up under the bus. We were all trying to help each other elevate. We all knew the end goal was for us to make it to the next level. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we all kind of helped each other get there. Mm-hmm. Now, that 2011 season, Jason, I just want you to reflect on that for a second. Because, again, like I said, you helped accomplish a lot of firsts at South County. You know, 2010, the first time and still the only team to make it to Atlanta. And then 2011, you're part of the team the first ever South Carolina team to win 11 games in a season. And again, they went on to do it in 12 and 13. But again, you were part of the very first one. Um, I've talked to your former teammates or some of your former teammates about it, but I'll ask you just talk about the the, the pride in that. Because again, when you're going through it and you do it and you're actually on the team, you know, it, it's cool. But I'm sure now you look back and again, that's just something that that nobody can take away from you. You were on the first ever team to win 11 games at South Carolina pretty cool man it's pretty cool but it it all we expected it you know what i mean i I don't want to sound like cliche or nothing but man we set the standard and each year we raised it a little bit we kind of set it as we came in we came in in 07 and we didn't even make it to a bowl game and we we moved the bar up a little more and we it coach Spurrier, we we set our goals at the beginning of the year and uh and everybody in that room that was part of those goals, believed that we can do it. Um, everybody believed in the process. Uh, the coaches did a great job at setting the standard and holding guys accountable that stepped outside of that standard or stepped under that standard. They had to run. They had to – they was punished in some form or fashion, which I think went away from the program for a while. And it's just when you lower your standards, you, you're going to lose. You're going to lose winners. I think I think you should raise your standards. When you raise your standards, you – you lose losers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? So oh, yeah. I, th- I think that was a big part of 2011. We had guys – each time we raised the bar, we raised the bar on recruiting. And when we brought recruits in, we talked to them about it as players. We didn't just take them out and party. We talked to them about what they were coming there to do and what our vision is for the program in the future. So just to see where the program went 10 years later, it was just – it hurt. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. God darn, all that work we did. And now here we are. How do we get back here? Mm. So it, it, it sucked, but I'm glad. I'm glad we're back on the back on the up and up. Yeah, for sure, Jason. Before we get to, because of course, like I said off air, jokingly, you know, I, I feel like you're a very popular man right now because of the Shane Beamer stuff, and I definitely want to get your take on that. But again, sticking with you, you know, after your South Carolina career, you mentioned you did get a shot in the NFL and professional football. I just love to hear your experiences there, and obviously, it's. It's a jump up in level, and I think you obviously learn it's a business. I think that's probably the number one thing that jumps out to you. I'd just love to hear, though, your experience in professional football. What would you take away? When you look back, I guess, what do you take away most from your experience trying your hand at the NFL? Man, I loved it, man. I, I realized I realized exactly what you just said, how much of a business it was. I, re- mm. I realized how talented people in this world are. Mm. Like, good Lord, but but – Another thing I learned is is how talented the SEC is. When you can play in the SEC, 
it's kind of when you get to the NFL, it's kind of a step down. I, I, I got to practice and rookie minicamp and 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 OTAs and all that stuff, and it, and it was a little easier than it was <laughs> going against Stephon and Team Augusty and CC every day. It was a little easier easier going against those NFL guys, but um, I realized how polished I was. I and I knew I was pretty polished coming out of high school, but I got to the NFL and it, and it was guys that. Couldn't run routes in the NFL. It was like, wow, you you're eight year veteran, and and you're asking me to help you. And I, and of course, I did. But um, it, it just kind of got it just kind of guided my life after the NFL. I realized the things that I was taught in high school from my high school coach, and the things that I was taught in college from Coach Prairie and Coach Prairie Junior can get you open for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. So I kind of trying to tell my kids that as a coach, like, man, this stuff I'm teaching you guys is, is not normal for you to know. <laughs> like, it's, mm-hmm. You're going to get to college and you're going to see receivers that don't know anything. And then you're going to get to the NFL and you're going to see receivers <laughs> that don't know anything. It's just just been going off raw ability. Some people mm-hmm. are just God, get, God, yeah. God-given talent. And has never been coached a darn thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> it can just still be great. So mm-hmm. um, you just you just realize how special people is when you get to that level. So mm-hmm. people are fast, strong, and mm-hmm. IQ of the game is so high. And then some people are just there for political reasons. They 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 were number one in their conference, but then they get there and they're not even really good. But mm-hmm. they're investing so much money into this guy, so they pick that yeah. guy over you. So it's kind of like a bunch of different things. So it's kind of like you want to get there and you want to be on the good side of politics. Because if you come in <laughs> as a priority free agent like I did, you got to, right. one, you got to stay healthy. I, I got hurt. I tore my Achilles after uh, one year mm. of being there. And as soon as I tore my Achilles, I knew. Yeah. I cried right there on the field. I knew it was over. Mm. But uh, So that's pretty much how I went for my career. But, I mean, I, I definitely don't regret it. It set me up for what I'm doing now and and it help it helps me. I talk about it all the time to my guys because I I'm it's, it's it's my goal not to let them make the same mistakes I did. And so I tell them a lot of stories about mm-hmm. when I see them doing some of my old habits like skipping reps in the weight room. That's what I did. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? You might not want to do that, buddy. I did that and I'm broke. You might want to <laughs> you might want to do extra reps. <laughs> For sure. Well, Jason, I, I want to move into, of course, current day South Carolina football and, and the obvious Shane Beamer being the head coach there right now. And obviously the buzz around Gamecocks football right now is at an all time high and the morale is great. I, I'm curious, though, to get your take again. I, I'm not sure how much interaction you would have had with him while you were in Columbia because he was coaching what I think special teams and defensive backs mainly. Um, and did he did. Did he, did he did he recruit you or no? Did he was he did he have a hand in the no, okay. I, didn't, I don't think he was there at that point. But either way, just your memories of Shane Beamer from your time at Columbia. Again, I know you may not have had quite as many interactions with him as people may think, but what do you remember about <laughs> Shane Beamer when, when you were there, uh, if anything? Well, I had to go to the, the special team meetings. <laughs> even though, right. even though I, I was just like, why am I going here? I'm not even <laughs> on the special team. <laughs> But I, I had to go because I was like backup punt returner, like fifth punt returner, and I was <laughs> I was on punt block, I believe, like fifth string. So right. I would have to go in the special team meetings. And one thing I learned about him very early is how passionate he was about coaching, mm-hmm. and um, 
how he coached the little things. He's very, uh, very instinctive on on exactly what he wants you to do, and he's going to hold you accountable to do that. Uh, he very knowledgeable of what he's what he's coaching, and um, has a lot of enthusiasm. Has great energy. Uh, uh, I, I definitely didn't have much interaction with him as a player. Um, it's other than saying, well, well, like, what's up, coach? Yeah. Uh, let's, let's go get it today and things like that. But he he definitely was always very positive and and had good energy. And, and his passion is his passion just bleeds off of him. And you, you can feel it as he's around you. He, he's definitely a great, great uh, hire that we made. I'm happy we got him in there. And uh, I wish him nothing but good luck. Yeah, I was going to ask again, you, you start to expand on, I was going to ask though, just when you heard the news that he had got the job and, and, you know, obviously Connor Shaw's being retained and you're seeing Byron Gerardo come back and Shaq Wilson and, and all the former players are coming back to visit. And obviously they're, they're very happy with the hiring and I'm sure you are as well. I mean, how awesome, I guess, was that for you just hearing that news that he had gotten the job and, and is getting the opportunity to, to really, you know, like bring back that culture and bring back that standard. Cause I thought it was really interesting. You know, you see the, the picture behind me of, of, of DJ Swearinger. And of course I had DJ on the show and you know, that, that, that clip went viral. Cause that was the thing that he, he echoed was the standard. You know, he felt like the standard had been lost. The culture had been lost. Things just were not right. And I feel like we all feel, and I'm sure you feel the same that Shane Beamer's going to bring that back in Columbia. And we're already seeing it with, with guys like yourself and then Pat DeMarco and Alshon and Melvin and Captain Munnerlin was at pro day. You know, you're seeing all these guys come back and show love and, and DJ Swearinger, of course, and you're seeing all these guys come back and show love. And I think that's something that this program desperately needed because, I, you know, one of your former teammates, Tory Gurley, one of the quotes he told me that I, I really just still stands out to me is it takes a Gamecock to know a Gamecock. And it's a special place and it can do special things, but you really need somebody in there who understands the dynamic and the culture and, and was around it when you guys built what you built and brought the program to new heights. And again, I say all that to say that, you know, Shane Beamer being back in Columbia, I mean, it's, it's got to be something, like I said, that really – really fired you up when you saw the news. I'm telling you, man, and, and just to take it to the next level, it's just the fact that he earned it. Like, mm. he didn't take any handouts. He he started from – he started very low on the totem pole and he worked his way up over time and bounced around a little bit, slowly but surely keep going up, learning and mm. taking in from each coach that he's been around and – each system that he's been around and then boom here he here he gets a chance back where it started where you know what i mean so just just this his his whole venture is pretty amazing i mm-hmm. think i i just love i just love to see things like that stories like that where a guy that started from the bottom and worked his way to the top grinded it out his tough years where he thought no one's watching and no one noticing mm. and then boom here he is and, and it's just a plus that he was around when we had things rolling that's that that's just sugar on the top you know what i mean he's he definitely was he definitely was a home run hire i think and he's going to be there and coach from the heart he, mm. he, he that's where he wanted to be there he get the job and you're crying man that's that's amazing that's passion you know what i mean that's love and that's that's what coaching is about. A lot of things people think coaching is just about, you know, Jimmys and Joes and X and O's. No, it's not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, it's not, man. It's about love, man. Mm-hmm. Falling in love with those guys in your room and and building a relationship with them that's not even have anything to do with football. 
you 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 looking at them as as, as family and you want to do everything in your in your power to see them be successful and they see they want to do everything in their power to help you be successful mm. and he understands that and he built the coaching staff around him that understands that and i i I'm excited. I'm pumped. I can't wait to go to, to spring ball and just get around that energy, man. I, you you can see the energy in the videos. <laughs> I get pumped yeah. up looking at their little videos <laughs> that they be making. I'm, I'm excited. Mm. I'm excited. For sure. I think something that's interesting, Jason, you know, moving back to you, you mentioned the coaching grind and him working up the total pool. You're kind of there yourself, I'd say, right? You're at Dutch Fork right now. You're the wide receiver coach and obviously like a I said off air, you guys have been doing fantastic work. You know, Bryce Thompson obviously going to Tennessee and, and Jalen Hyatt. And I, I, I was joking with you, but, man, I, I hope with Shane Beamer now being in Columbia, maybe we can stop letting all these Dutch Fort guys go uh, go elsewhere. I mean, <laughs> you you got to help, help us out. No, I'm just kidding. But, no, seriously, you've been doing a great job. Dutch Fort football, obviously, with Tom Knotts and what you guys have built at the program. But just kind of talk about, obviously, getting into coaching and working with him and, and – you know, the job you're doing there, I'm sure it's a blast for you because it obviously helps when you're really, really good, but you're doing your seven on seven thing too. And, and obviously you're doing fantastic work, man. I just love to hear you expand on your, on your experience coaching and, and molding young men. And I, I was telling, uh, I was telling coach step earlier, me and him were talking and I was just telling man how blessed I am to been around so many great coaches in my life. And just like coach Beamer, I eat, picked picked all these brains he's been around and learned I've been doing the same thing and I've been doing it since a player I, I may have not realized I was doing it I was always such you know locked in to when a coach is telling me something and and learning I've picked up all these hidden gems and it, it's helping me a lot and this helping even more just to be around a great mind like coach Knotts even more I played for him for four years in high school so now the to come back to Columbia and it's a blessing that he's in Dutch Fork where I'm at. I mean, in Columbia where I'm at and and has a wide receiver position available. All of this is just God's work in my opinion. It's, it's just worked out perfect. So now I'm learning, learning how to coach up under this guy who's looks at all the little things, just like I like to look at as a huge mm -hmm. perfectionist and, and elaborates on, on, on the smallest little details where a lot of coaches overlook and, and, and he, we don't, we don't do that. So mm -hmm. just to be around him, whereas I would probably be just like a lot of those other coaches, but he yells at me like I'm <laughs> one of the kids. You know what I mean? And I love that. That keeps me on my toes and it, it helps me keep learning. Like, you know, so man, it, it's just, it's just, it's just pretty cool to be, to be, to be, doing what I really love to be doing. I thought my dreams were to play in the NFL for a long time and everything, mm -hmm. but that didn't work out. And now I'm figuring out what my real passion is now at 31 years old. It's, mm -hmm. it's coaching, man. I love to be on the field. I love to be helping these, these young men get better and achieve their goals and achieve getting open. It's just the look that you get when a kid, when you show a kid something and, and, and they don't know if it's going to work or not. Mm. But when they finally hear it enough to be like, man, let me just try this. So this crazy man leaves me alone. And when it don't work, then I don't have to do it no more. And I can tell them I tried and it didn't work. And then they do it and mm. it works. That light and they moment. Never, they never look at you the same again. They look at you totally different. And at that point, they listen to everything you'll say. 
Mm. And that's when you know you got them. Mm. So it, it, it's just pretty cool, man. I, I love coaching. I love coaching. It's definitely something I want to do for the rest of my life. And, mm. and I'm enjoying the ground. I'm enjoying the process. I'm in no rush to go anywhere. Um, it's a lot of people that think I'm ready to go. And, and I think I'm ready to go, too. But mm. when that time comes is when it'll come. You know what I mean? It's nothing you can – uh, it's not as simple as like, hey, man, I'm ready to go coach in South Carolina. All right, cool. Come on, Jason. <laughs> 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 no, it don't work like that. You know what I mean? But I know for a fact it's coming because because mm. I'm, I'm pretty I'm pretty damn good at this mm. thing. Mm. Well, I, I don't know if it means anything to you, but you may have seen me on social media. I, I was vouching for you. So, I mean, but we love we love Coach Step. We love Coach Step. But I was vouching for <laughs> you. So, I mean, I, I'm all about getting get in, get as much garnet and black blood in the building as you can. I, and obviously, there's, there's a bunch of you guys, not just you, but your, your you know, former teammates. I think of Cliff Matthews. I think of Travian Robertson that are doing big things coaching and, and guys that are doing a really good job. So, I think it's only a matter of time for you guys, for sure, for sure. But I, I want to move back to you, Jason, before I get you out of here, because I'm going to let you go. But one last thing. When you when you look back on your career at South Carolina, again, so many great memories. I mean, so many great on-the-field memories, so many great games. But is there anything that sticks out to you from your career, maybe one of your favorite memories, whether it be on-field, off-field, it can be on the field, um, you know, on campus, like just the, the overall life of being a student athlete. Like, is there anything just specifically that stands out when you look back in your career at Columbia and, and think back on? All of it, man. Yeah. <laughs> Being in a weight room with Coach Fitz, <laughs> that that sticks out the most. It's funny because me and him still talk on the phone and still have a great relationship. But uh, being in a weight room with Coach Fitz, you like to think that a lot of times you spend your you with the head coaches and your position coaches. But a lot of time, most of the time, you with those strength coaches. You spend a lot of time with the head strength coach and staff, and and you're around. They're dragging. You know what I mean? <laughs> so you build that that family and that bond and everything. You build that with the strength and conditioning staff. Um, so, yeah, just doing – running dominators with, with, with Coach Fitz and the, and the rest of the team. Dominators was one of the hardest workouts that <laughs> is known to man. Mm-hmm. Um, and we would have to do them every week, and each week the number would go up. And uh, at the end, before camp, you would have to you would have to um, do 18 or 20 dominators and all of them were time. Mm. And if you weren't able to complete them, then you you just ha- kept keep having to do them until mm. you passed. And I will never forget dominators in my life. <laughs> <laughs> dominators is not something I will ever forget, man. It was so mental to be able to get it done. And it, it was tough, man. It was tough. Mm. And. And the only way you were going to get through is your brothers yelling at you on the other end of the field. You see, you see, uh, you see Cal Nunn down there on the other end of the field throwing up and Tom's running down and we got to run another one in 15 seconds. And you yell to the top of your line, let's go, Cal. Let's finish. And, and Cal pops up out of nowhere and he's on the line when the whistle blows. It's things like that. You just, you just never forget, man. Just, a locker room, sometimes I wish the world could come together like a locker room of mm. guys who love each other did, man. It, the world would be such a better place if everybody could just come together mm. out of love, you know what I mean, and mm. driven for one goal. And uh, 
so yeah, dominators with Coach Fitz. That's something I would never forget. That, that. <laughs> but other than that, it was, it was just fun, man. Going out and competing with the guys every weekend. Um, in the hot sun, it used to be so hot. We used to go out there. <laughs> we used to go out there and camp and have to do yoga in the sun. And Coach mm-hmm. Spur be out there with no shirt on. <laughs> it's just so many. Yeah. Things. So the legendary all, Coach Spurrier shirtless picks. Yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you, we're like, why do we have to do this out here? <laughs> like, is it a cooler place we could go to to do this? But um, is, is it wild for you to go back and see, like, the facilities they have now? Because I remember talking to Tori, and he was talking about, like, the bubble. You know what I mean? Like, like they, they have yeah. these they, – the, they have the crazy indoor and the, the ops building. And, like, you guys were – I mean, the proving grounds and the bubble. I mean, that was right. – you know, it's wild to think. I mean – that's that's what makes it even harder to understand why they're losing and stuff. Yeah. Like, what in the world? But to be honest, I haven't went and seen it yet. To be honest, uh, yeah. step me and Step and Kimry was talking about it not too long ago, and they can't wait for me to come and show. And I'm gonna go up there to a spring mm-hmm. spring practice, and that's when I'm gonna go see all of it. I can't wait to see it. But yeah, I, I can um, tell you, I've been there, man. It's 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 pretty incredible. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> But you know what, man? I think what's cool, though, for you is you can take pride in is you guys, because of what you did, laid the, the groundwork for that. I mean, without 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 your, you know, because I really believe in, I know you agree, when you build a program, it all stacks on itself. And that's why I love getting the guys in from, like, the 90s. And it's like, you know, without these guys, you wouldn't have had setting up for success for like what you guys did. And obviously the same way now, but I really believe those teams you were on what you guys did is, is the reason you have facilities like that. That's the whole reason you have that. So I, I know you take pride in that for sure. Oh yeah. I can't wait to see it, man. I yeah. can't wait to see it. Yeah, for sure. Well, Jason, this has been a pleasure, man. It's been a pleasure. It was great talking with you and obviously keep up the great work. It was, you know, I know I speak for all Gamecock nation when I say it was, was awesome to watch you do what you did in Garnet and black. And obviously great to hear about the successes you're having, uh, at Dutch Fork, and like I said, we'll continue to follow along, and and hopefully, like I said, fingers crossed that the, the next big time wide receiver that comes out of Dutch Fork is is a Gamecock. That's a that's a, that's what I'm ho- that's what I'm hoping for. Either way, so either way. But no, seriously, Jason, this was a pleasure, man, and uh, obviously, we're all excited for Gamecocks football right now. But seriously, take thank you for taking the time, and let's definitely do it again soon for sure. Oh yeah, thank you, man. Good luck with everything, and keep doing what you're doing. I love tuning into the show, and I gotta get some gear, man. I appreciate it, man. I, I, dude, I'm down. I'm down for sure. I appreciate it. Man. He's Jason Barnes. I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in, and we'll catch you next time on episode of the Spurs Up Show.